a trick or two about him. I know he's a fucking tricky guy. He'll let you sit down on a thumbtack. But when he wants, he'll make you laugh. Everybody says he's tricked them good. And he never asks if he should. Joker! <laughs> he wears his face paint like a trickster. He's sick and twisted, an evil man. He does his trick and says, Ha ha, got you. Trick your ass and wipe it too. Everybody says he's tricked them good, and he never asks if he should. Joker! about him I know he's a fucking tricky guy He'll let you sit down on a thumbtack But when he wants he'll make you laugh Everybody says Detroit. One more time. <laughs> One more time. Detroit Rock City. L.A. Rock City. Chicago Rock Chicago City. Rock Mason. City. Mason. Mason. I'm back in the New York groove. I'm back in L.A. Absolutely. Me too. I'm feeling. I'm feeling the Big Apple right now, brother. Um, it, as as we know. Um, well, as you know. As I know about you, but maybe the listeners don't know about ourselves, uh, we have been very busy both moving, <laughs> yeah. um, which is why there was a short hiatus. Uh, most stressful move of my life. Yeah. Uh, and the irony is I was moving basically just down the block to another building that my landlord owns. And it was teed up to be the easiest move of my life. And wouldn't you know it, that didn't happen. <laughs> wouldn't you know that uh, 
Maybe the maybe the landlord didn't tell you the whole truth for once. Yeah, wouldn't you know that maybe the landlord uh, quote unquote misheard me when he said that he would be covering the cost of movers. Yeah. And you know when I found out that wasn't going to be the case Sunday night. And yeah. you know when I moved Monday morning. Bum, 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 bum. Moving. 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 I, I, I. <laughs> Crazy. I'm but that's how makes the rails moves. in Logan Square. <laughs> I'm going off the rails on a nine inch U haul. Nine foot U haul, not a nine, nine foot inch U haul. Uh, listen, the nine foot U haul was my best friend last week. I that is my favorite vehicle. That is, I think, the only car that should be allowed to be on the street. Not only can you move a decent amount of stuff in it, but you could probably fit a good amount of people in it too. I love a nine foot U haul van. Uh, if, if somebody wanted to get me a nine-foot U-Haul van for my birthday, I would change my tune about um, the necessity of automobile transit because I would just take that sucker everywhere. But um, that's that's that on that. That's all I got to say about that, Noe. That's all I yeah. got to say about that, my friend, my podcast Yeah, well, co-host. I'm in L.A., so that's what yeah. is up. That's what's up. Yeah. Crazy how yeah. the last time we both moved, we both moved at the same time last time as well, if you remember. Yes. Wait a minute. Back last yes? June, remember I had to go back down to LA to put my stuff in storage at the like oh, summer right, of the right, pandemic. Right, right. And you right, also right, moved right. at that time, right? That yeah, that's when I moved into my last place. That was actually July, uh, or J- end of June, beginning of end July. of June, early July. It, in any case, yeah, we did have a uh, listen. Our this cycles nice are synced about- up. Yeah, uh, our cycles are synced up. We are both on our periods right now. Um, I'm, ble- I'm bleeding, brother. I need I need your help, and I need same, I need a towel. Same. Actually, now that you mention it, I did I for for uh, I did have to get some thrift store pants because a friend of mine wanted me to be in a short little video he was making, and I don't know if they do this in L.A., but they sometimes staple um, the price tag or the price of the item to the article of clothing you're buying. And so I had to buy a new pair of pants, and I was tucking in my shirt, and I forgot to take the staple out, and I scratched myself oh, a little bit there on yeah. the hand. Just a teeny, like a big teeny old, little scratch. That looks like a cat scratch, actually, to be honest with you. That's very reminiscent of, like, you're yeah. out playing with the, the stray cat in the neighborhood, and you're like, oh, I'm going to grab that thing by the tail. Playing with, yeah, I was playing you. in the Brian Setzer Orchestra. Um, and Brian okay. Setzer bit me. That is um, interesting. They don't do that in LA. They don't put. They don't staple the price of the pant onto the pant leg. They don't. That's the Chicago thing. Hell, that maybe yeah. even started in the fucking Big Apple. As far as I'm concerned, that's not happening yeah. in LA though. So right. we don't have to worry about that out here. Yeah. So that's fine. You know so the A in Lo- you know the A in LA stands for Apple. So we both moved and. Um, <laughs> I'm tired. <laughs> Mason's tired. Um, yeah. We're all both tired, but we're here. We're doing the show. It's Labor Day as we're recording this. I'm wearing the bird shirt plus the fishing hat because mm-hmm. I'm on I'm on vacation. You're on <laughs> I'm island on, time. <laughs> I'm, on, I'm on island time. I'm on the playa. Uh, just fucking chilling. So, kind of cool. And I can do that now because I'm in L.A. I can be on yeah. island time. All the time. That's the good thing. You, my friend, you're on, you're on fucking public transit time. Was what it sounds like. 
Yeah, I am on public transit time. Um, I'm usually on public transit time, and that is just... Uh, uh, it's God's punishment for you for living in Chicago. <laughs> really, God's I think it's punishment. God's blessing. Public yeah. transit is proof that God loves us and just wants us to be happy. Um, some may differ, like me. <laughs> so, some, some may differ on that one. I choose... I Listen, call me naive, call me idealistic, but I love uh, paying $100 a month for a little... To, to reload a card and I just go bloop and I can go anywhere I want. We got a national park, yeah, national, I'm sorry, a national historic monument in the city of Chicago now. I think the first in Illinois, or at least the first in the city of Chicago. And I went down there yesterday, took a little day trip down to Pullman, went to the Pullman National Monument. I told Noah I wasn't going to talk about this on the show, but I changed <laughs> my mind. Yep. It's a nice park. It's a nice park. If you're in the city of Chicago, um, if you're visiting, it's well worth a trip down um, to, I think it's like 111th and Cottage Grove, to the Pullman National Historic. Uh, it was an industry town, if you're not familiar. It was a site of a famous strike. Uh, a lot of trains stuff down there. I didn't get a chance to see the whole thing, but I'm itching to go back because it is free. It is a National Historic Monument. There are cool old buildings there. I got some Harold's Chicken. I got some Wings with Mild Sauce. It was delicious. I Let's ain't go. one of the Cosbys. I ain't go to pull, man. Mm-hmm. Yep, absolutely. <laughs> I ain't one of the Cosbys. I ain't go to pull, man. It's Hillman is what he says in the song. What song is that? Does he say that in? Uh, hey, Jude. Yeah. Well, Mason, a long time ago, I visited you in Chicago and uh, had a great time with you, mostly. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then... <laughs> Uh, we went our separate ways and believe it or not, had a really shitty time <laughs> in Chicago. Without me? Oh, that's too bad. <laughs> yeah, without you. Uh, I'm going to give you the, I'm going to give you the bullet point list of what that looked like. Okay. This is, this is listeners. This is new to me. Uh, I didn't touch base with Noah on the day that we parted. Uh, or any time in the last almost three months <laughs> between when you visited me about, hey, how was the rest of your trip to the city of Chicago, brother? Yeah, uh, we did checking we in. Did, yeah, 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 yeah. I'm a good friend. Uh, we did record the first part of Noah's visit when he was hanging out with me, and that's, uh, I think, episode 76. It's a couple episodes back in the in the chamber there. But Noah, tell me about day two of your Chicago adventure. So we start that day, <clears throat> me going to pick you up. We recorded the uh, Magnolia Electric Co. episode and the Golden Smog episode in my shitty hotel room <laughs> in Skokie. Took a little trip to Skokie. Very cool. Skokie. <laughs> wouldn't mind living in Skokie, but also wouldn't mind not living in Skokie. That's what I'll say about that. Uh, so then I drop you back off. <clears throat> I park in your neighborhood. And I was could do one of two things. I could go to Shed, the Shed Aquarium, or I could go to the Field Museum. They're right next door to each other. So I take my little, take my little trip, take my little trip, take my little trip to museums, and I go down there, and I decide to go to Shed. Now, Mason, in Milwaukee, which is the city I was in prior to coming to Chicago, I was mm-hmm. attacked by a bird. Did I tell you about yes. this? You, I do remember hearing about this bird that attacked you. So I'm in Milwaukee. I'm on Lake Michigan. I'm in a park in Lake Michigan, and I'm walking back to my car after having walked basically around the entire perimeter of this beautiful park right on Lake Michigan. And I'm walking back, and I'm near nobody. And all of a sudden, I hear this 
hot I feel this hot breath on the back of my neck on my on the nape of myself and I feel just like a tiny little scratch and I hear like like a little sound like that and I'm like oh I think a bird just attacked me isn't that fucked up and ruined the rest of my day immediately after that (laughs) yeah Mm -hmm. so then I get down to fucking shed aquarium wouldn't you know it? There's a sign that says, "Be wary of red-winged blackbirds. <laughs> they are known to be very oh, territorial boy. and could attack you." And I'm like, oh, "Yep, boy. that is the same fucking bird that attacked me in Milwaukee." What would you? What would you say? What would you do in that situation? You would only get really upset. And I did. Yes. Uh, I'm going to be honest with you. I'm going to say it on the pod. I think Shed Aquarium a little overrated. I'm just going to say mm. it. Didn't have mm. as much fun there as I would have liked. There wasn't as actually. Wasn't as extensive, wasn't as cool as I think it was maybe a little bit overhyped for me. <clears throat> then, get on the red line, go to the White Sox game, doing a little south side action. White Sox game was pretty good. No real complaints there. Get back to my get back to my car, which is parked outside your apartment, uh, and I drive back to my hotel room for the night. And the next morning, I decide I'm going to take a little trip to the Burbs. I'm going to go see the Frank Lloyd Wright house, which is in Oak Park, and all that mm-hmm. shit. And it said it was open, and I drive there. It takes like 45 minutes to get there, and it's not fucking open. I drove all the oh, way there, and it no. wasn't fucking open. To get from Skokie to Oak Park really does just take you, like, right through. Like, it, that is a trip. That is a trip, and that sucks that you had to take that that length of trip for basically no reason. <laughs> well, it ultimately ended up... I'm not going to say it ended up being okay, but I did make the best of it. I did drive by Ernest Hemingway's house, which is in Oak yeah. Park as well. But that yeah. museum was closed the day that I was there, yeah. too. So I couldn't even like do like a makeup thing by doing that. Uh, I went to Johnny's Beef, which is technically an Elmwood Park. And that was a suggestion by friend and past guest of the show, friend of the show, Jake Ellenbogen, who is an Oak Park boy himself. Mm-hmm. Uh, I then drove from Oak Park to Wrigleyville because I had a tour of Wrigley Field at like 1 or 2 o'clock. I think it was at 1, I don't remember, sometime between then. And I pay like $60 for parking. No no yeah. joke. Yeah, uh, absolutely. Makes sense. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, even though there was no game going on, you just, there's nowhere to park there. Uh, no, so you just they, have to they, pay $60. They have turned that place, they have turned Wrigleyville into just a place to suck your money, and you have to resist the temptation to spend any money in Wrigleyville, (laughs) truthfully. Yeah, it's kind of fucked up, to be honest with you. Uh, So I did my Wrigley Field tour. It was cool. I got to see Wrigley. The tour wasn't as long as I was expecting, and so I had a weird, inordinate amount of time to spend. And so I'm like, maybe I can make it down to the Field Museum. So I, like, on a whim decided, okay, I'm going to take the red line, down from Wrigley, I think Addison is the stop or something like that. Yes. Uh, take it to, from Addison to Roosevelt, I think. Yes. And then get on a yes. bus and take yes. that bus to the museum. And yes. I had to time it just right. And so I'm huffing and puffing, trying to get up the turnstile, up these set of stairs, onto the L, racing, just hoping to God I can make it onto this bus. And I'm coming out from underground up to the surface. And as I'm walking up the stairs... I see the bus pull away from the bus stop that I needed to get on. And I checked the app, and there wasn't another one coming for like 20 minutes. And I'm like, guess I'm walking to the Field Museum. 
which was about the same amount of time, but I was like, I wanted to try and fucking make the most of my time here. So I'm walking, I'm huffing and puffing, I'm sweating, that my, I'm sweating my dickens You're off. You're walking right point. by Columbia College Chicago's campus also, right by where I went to college. Spent a lot of time in that part of the, t- uh, part of the South Loop. And had just no idea, did not give a fuck about that at all, as I'm just trying to make my way to the Field Museum. I tried to go in an entrance, it was locked. I said fuck out loud, probably a little bit too loud. Uh, I went to the south entrance, and I walk in, and just no one is there. No one is standing there to, like, let me into the museum. So I'm just standing there like an idiot with my mask on or something or whatever. And this woman comes over and goes, you trying to get into field? And I said, yes. She goes, we stopped selling tickets at 4, and I checked my phone, and it was 4.10. And I literally looked at her and said, ma'am, I drove all the way from Portland, Oregon to be here. Are you telling me you're not going to sell me a ticket? Like, just really trying to butter her ass up. Mm-hmm. And she goes, you can come tomorrow. <laughs> and I was like, I'm leaving tomorrow. And she said, I'm sorry. <laughs> so I just walked out completely dejected. And to make, like, rub salt in the wound, as I'm coming out, there's a family of three who are coming in who have already bought tickets on their phone, and this woman lets them in no problem. And I'm like, that is so fucked up. That is, that is the man trying to fucking keep me down if I've ever seen it. That so stupid. Sucks, brother. Yeah, it was shitty. Uh, it was really so then shitty. I, so then I walked out, and I'm right on Lake Michigan, and I'm sitting on this bench, and I'm crying a little bit because I'm just so tired and so pissed that I'm like not getting to do the things I wanted to do, and I know that I'm leaving Chicago the next day, <laughs> and so I decide, you know what, I'm gonna make the most of my time. I'm going to go to Navy Pier. I know it's a tourist trap. I know it's a money suck, but I just want to feel like I did something today. Mm-hmm. Something else besides what I just, I felt like I'd been taking L's left and right that day. So, waited for a bus to come. I think it was the two, if I'm being, if I'm, if I, if my math is correct. Uh, and the bus just came. It was, I saw it coming down the road. And it just drove right past me. And I was just like, what the fuck do I have to do in this goddamn city to get a shred of fucking respect from Chicago? Jesus Christ. Leaving Mason back at his house was the worst decision I ever made. Yeah, I was going to say, I really think that uh, that does suck. And I'm sorry that the city treated you so poorly that day. That is, um, I spent a lot of time in the city. It does happen that you have days like that. Uh... I will say, I think the lesson to be learned here is buy your tickets ahead of time. Yeah. And then ask me for advice. <laughs> well, I'm not doing If you're in the city part. of Chicago. Yeah, maybe. Just, as you... long as you're in the city of Chicago, uh, I am always around for advice. On yeah. th- so you didn't end up getting over to Navy Pier? Eventually I did. I said, okay, I'm going to wait for one more bus. And if that bus does the same exact thing, I'm fucking, I'm done. I'm literally, I'm done with this fucking place. So I was able to get him on a bus, took me all the way there, whatever, Navy Pier sucks, who cares, doesn't matter, you don't have to go there. Um, and then I was like, I know for a fact I can go to this restaurant uh, in Chinatown. So I took a bus to the Red Line, I think back to the Roosevelt Red Line stop. Got on the Red Line, took it to Chinatown Cermak, the restaurant's right there, restaurant was fine. I remember just burning my mouth really badly on the fucking food that I got and just being like... This is fine. This this is fine. At least I'm sitting down, not stressed about fucking being in this city, navigating it by myself. 
And I was so tired. I was just so sounds like sounds exhausting. It really it was does unbelievable sound exhausting. tired. And it, you yeah. know, I was not staying in like the most comfortable room in the entire world. And there had been our day that you and I did. I want to say we took like almost thirty thousand steps that day. I like checked yeah. the day after, and so I was tired and sore from that day. And I think I took like twenty one thousand steps the day after that. You know, mm. doing my own shit just the, you know the day I saw the White Sox or whatever so I was exhausted I was tired I was like fuck Chicago this place is so insane just like absolutely just like felt like I could not buy a win those last like day and a half so uh that was it <laughs> then I left Chicago that's it fucking sucks dude I'm sorry thank you I'm it is what it is sorry next time you come to Chicago Let's uh, let's give you a better let's give you a better time. We hit the big tour spots. Um, we did last that time. first day. Honestly, made up for it though. We did so much that first yeah. day. We like yeah. like thinking of think about it. We we did the zoo. I mean, we just did so much. We did the zoo. We did the Marina Towers. We did the lake. We did Buckingham Fountain at Grand yeah, Park. Yeah, Grand Park. Yeah, Millennium Park a little bit. Um. Yeah, next time, listen, next time, let's get your let's get your museum tickets in advance, because I haven't yeah. been to the field in a very long time, and I would like to go back. Um, a little disappointed to hear that you didn't like the shed, because I am kind of itching to, to go back there. I ha- I went there, I just have a fondness for that place, because I went a lot as a kid, not a lot, but enough as a kid, where it was like kind of a special treat and a special trip. Sure. Um, so I like that, I like the shed just fine. Um, I think that the field, and it's unfortunate you didn't get a chance to get there, the field is much better. Uh, but I wanted to show you the cultural center last when you were in town, and that was also we go there. Oh yes, and they, they shut the door in our face. Um, at least just to see the Tiffany, the Tiffany that was, dome. And that the was kind of fucked up. That one woman was like, "Do it quick!" And then we get up there, and the other woman was like, "And they're no, filming no, like no. the forty four hundred or something." Yeah, yeah, they're shooting the forty four hundred or something. Um, but uh, I love this freaking city. And uh, that's that on that. Do you want to introduce the show? I think it's been like 20 minutes. Welcome to It's On The List. This is the show about going to Chicago to visit your friend. Mm-hmm. Uh, I am the funny talking baby. The funny talking baby takes LA. Noah Marger with me as always. Funny talking dog. The Chicago dog. Mason McGuire. Mason, what's up? What's up, everybody? Yes, it is the funny Chicago hot dog. I got chopped diced onions. Pickle, sli- uh, pickle spears, sliced tomato, relish, mustard, Don't do salt, this. Stop doing ses- that. Stop, stop telling bun. everybody what's on the fucking Chicago dog. Everybody knows. And if they don't know, they can look it up. What's up? We are, we're back in the podcast studio getting pissed. Getting, getting pissed. Today's getting a day pissed. to get pissed as far as I'm concerned. Let's get a little <laughs> pissed today. Let's get a yeah. little pissed today. But, Mason. Yeah. I feel like it's time that we actually we should actually start the show for real. We should start the show for start, real. I think it's time to start the show for real, and um, I'm very excited about what we're talking about today. I think we have uh, a nice little a nice little uh, nice little course here, uh, dear listeners. To to um, don't know where I'm going with this metaphor, but <laughs> yeah. it is a Mason's Choice album this week. It is a Noah's Choice movie, and as we do on this show, we're going to start with the album. And this week, the album is Liam Kazar, Liam Kazar, not 100% on how to say it, pronounce it, 2021 debut 
album due north yes this is a fresh album folks this album snap, snap, snap. Um, was released in i think august 6th so this is yeah. a fresh fresh album here um no what have you heard of this guy before at all any context for it before i um brought the brought it on the pod no this is brand new to me had never heard the name liam i'm gonna say kazar uh on the mm. show if that's wrong Give me the beat point, free my soul. I'm going to say Kazar on my fucking show and drift away. <laughs> uh, yeah, had not heard of this guy, had not heard this album. This was brand new to me, Mason. But what's your what's your what's your history with this? What's your story? Why yeah. you bring it on the show? So Liam Kazar is a um, he's a Chicago musician and um, former roommate uh, Colin. Uh, he is he has moved elsewhere. Uh, not a personal thing. It's just life took him in a different direction. Uh, sent me a invite for um, there's a uh, a music venue slash bar slash kind of it's it's a cool place to hang out in the Avondale neighborhood called Sleeping Village. They got like a. I, uh, friend of the show, Kelly Kripe and I met there, uh, when they were in town. Um, they usually have cool concerts going on. They have a great selection of beer. Um, and, uh, Liam Kazar had a pop-up for his, um, for his, uh, uh, restaurant Isafan, I believe it is, uh, Persian, uh, cuisine. Um, and couldn't get tickets to go to that, but he was having a, uh, record release, um, show at the... And beginning of August, I believe. Um, I think it was, yeah, beginning of August, it must have been. And so I just kind of uh, bought tickets to that on a whim. Didn't, um, just kind of on the recommendation of Colin. And because the opener for that show was a Sports Boyfriend, who's an act that I, I really, really like. Um, and just didn't, hadn't heard any of Liam Kazar's music uh, before then. Kind of wanted to go in death, so to speak. Um, and this is what, like what July of this year. This is, I think, the first week of August. Actually, like this is, I think, oh, right after this album um, came out. And um, yeah, because I think I just got back from Michigan. Um, but anyways, I I see Sports Boyfriend. I'm there at the show by myself, and I'm having an all right time. And so I uh, I just kind of I was on the floor for uh, it doesn't matter too much, but I'm, I'm in the audience, and um, he put on a hell of a fucking show. I had nice. such a blast. Um, he brought out uh, Katie and James Lake, who uh, folks might know from uh, the band Twin Peaks, another Chicago sort of uh, act of the last roughly decade. Um, and I had a fucking blast at that show. I was taken not just by the kind of energy of the performance and being in that space and kind of having that much fun at a show for the first time in the, you know, August Delta was kind of Delta was Delta, you know, around, but the, the rules and the restrictions were, were such where not a lot of people were with the masks on. It felt very kind of freeing and liberating. And I had such a good time at that show that I just went on band camp right away. I bought the album, bought the shirt that I'm wearing right now. Yes, you um, are. And, you know, after, about two weeks of me bringing on um, material to this show that uh, my co-host uh, did not appreciate. 
Well, let's just say it. Let's just call a spade a spade. Thought it was crap. To be honest, let's let's just call a spade a spade. Did not I didn't appreciate. To, didn't like. I wanted to um, try my luck and bring on something that not only I thought was really, um, really kind of special and really felt like sharing with the kind of wider you know podcast space here share a, a chicago a chicago local um like that uh but something that i also thought would be um because i had one of those moments when you are hearing something for the first time and particularly something new for the first time where it's just like cosmically or, or whatever's going on you're just like this album is and this music is just really getting me right where i need to be got right now you know um and with a little bit of time i can kind of appreciate the album and on a more of a sort of uh, we'll say objective level um but i heard this album and i heard the songs and the more that i re-listened to it since going to that show i just thought that it was something that um well i wanted my friend noah to listen to and i wanted to get his thoughts on and so that's me. That's my history with this. Yeah. Um, I think it's kind of evident that I really uh, admire this album a lot, and I get into more detailed thoughts once I hear from my friend Noah. Yeah. Noah. Yeah. What was your journey with this album? Because it has been technically two weeks since I told you I wanted to talk about this. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Did it's you been a minute. Yeah, it's yeah. been a while. So I want to know, kind of, in that period of time, how did this album? Where did this album find you? Yeah. And how did it um, travel with you throughout this, these these kind of hectic two weeks that we've both had? Well, first, uh, let's just get it out on the table. Uh, Don does a masterpiece. I love that album so much. I'm just kidding. I actually don't think it's a masterpiece, to be totally honest with you. I think it's fine. Oh, it was 100. Uh, this album, Mason, this little mm-hmm. album, Due North... I listened for listened to the first time when I was driving down to L.A. from Oregon. Uh, mm. I was uh, just north of Medford, Oregon, which is usually the first slash last place I'll stop when I'm driving from Southern California to Oregon. Uh, kind of a shit town, <laughs> to be honest with you, just very close to the California border, so you feel like you've actually done a little bit of driving for the day. Uh, and I'm surrounded by trees, pine trees, Douglas firs, all this beautiful greenery. Uh, and I'm very taken with the first, like, half of the album. You know, I'm very much like, damn. it's feel This album felt like it was going to be hard for me to talk about because I didn't really have, like, a lot to say about it other than, like, this album is fucking awesome. You know, like, it was just like... Mm-hmm damn, like, this is so good, and I want people to listen to it, and it's just produced really well, and the songs are really good, and the songwriting is good. Like, it just feels like a really solid package altogether. Uh, So that was the first time I listened to this, was on the way to L.A., then listened to it again, like, the weekend that I had moved in, because I thought we were going to record. We didn't. (laughs) I was listening to it again, (laughs) and I was getting ready for the show. And I was like, hmm, this is good. This is still good. This is still hitting me where I want it to hit. But I started to get a little bit more into, like, maybe, like, I guess the weirder-sounding songs on the album. Like, the first three songs on the album, So Long Tomorrow, Old Enough for You, and Shoes Too Tight, all feel like 
kind of in the same ballpark. But then yeah. as the album progresses, it's 10 tracks total. You get things like On a Spanish Dune and No Time for Eternity featuring Andrew Saw and Something Tender. And they almost have this like George Harrison-esque vibe to them. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I, I was like just, that comparison point. I didn't make that, and you're absolutely right. <laughs> thank you. I was just like, yeah, I'm a, I'm a little bit more into like the psychedelic kind of more like ethereal sounding tracks on this because they the tracks all sound like a like they're in a cohesive unit like it all sounds like it's the same guy like the same vision the same whatever very unified in that way but they teeter between like talking heads esque and like that sort of vibe and yeah. George Harrison to me and that's yeah. sort of the two rocking back and forth spaces that this album exists in I, I like those. I want to also throw out um, David Bowie for a yes, couple of reasons. I had that written down as well. Big yeah. Bowie vibes. Um, Bowie, because Bowie kind of had that same album by album and then throughout his whole career, like kind of fluidity of sound. Um, I, I hesitate to call it experimental because with Bowie, there was always a very clear direction and a very clear idea and a very like kind of... Uh, just one of the best songwriters. I love Bowie. And at this concert, um, the kind of high point of the concert, like just like the kind of apex, um, was, um, uh, it it was very, very funny. Actually, Liam disappeared for a couple seconds or a minute or something. And then come back, comes back on and just has like this white face paint on. That's when he brings on Katie and James Lake from, uh, from the band twin peaks. And then they just do this like really, raucous cover of Beauty and the Beast, the opening track off of Heroes, which was so cool. It was so fun. Um, uh, But yeah, but I I like the the talk. uh, Old Enough for You is definitely Talking Heads. I have that here as well. And I, that's what I, one thing that I really like about this album is that precise thing that you, you pointed out here, which is like, to me, I think that this album navigates a lot of different sounds and, like, kind of feels, um, but it never feels like it's, like, careening or not, like, kind of focused on what the, um, uh, or, like, kind of careening or, like, moving, um, experimenting or, or, or um, uh, doing different sounds for the sake of different sounds. It does, um, one Sounds thing like there's really an objective like, at, ho- at hand. He's, like, trying to yeah, work at a- something. Yeah, it's, it's to work at something. There's an objective at hand, and I like that it is um, that it's very. Um, I guess the word that was coming to mind when I was listening to it uh, earlier today in preparation for the record is like space, almost like not just in the kind of uh, cosmic sort of vibes that it has. Um, he actually had a uh, uh, well, it's sort of like there's the cosmic country kind of thing that he has going on here, just a little, little bit. Um, but also just like, these are songs that you can kind of like move around in. They're, they're very danceable and very movable, I think in a way, um, particularly, uh, shoes too tight. And, um, what's the other one that I wrote down here? Uh, I think shoes too tight and, um, Frank Bacon. That's the other one are ones that are, um, very, very, very danceable. Shoes Too Tight is the one that has the most plays on Spotify, I've noticed. I think it popped up in... A, I was talking with a friend of mine, and I think it popped up in like some kind of Spotify playlist, so wouldn't be too surprised if people recognized that that particular track. 
but I, it's, you know, this is a debut album, um, and it makes me really excited to see, you know, what he does after this, like what his, his next project is, is going to be. Cause he's also a guy that's worked with a, a hell of a lot of folks. Like he got the, another reason he got put on my radar is because, uh, he's played in Jeff Tweedy's band and Spencer Tweedy played drums, um, at the concert that I saw, uh, earlier in the month or earlier last month rather. Um, so he's a guy that I think you, we will be hearing from, um, a lot if, you know, things go well. And here's my question now. Okay. Do you, what is your, so, um, we both like that this album, um, is playful with its production, um, is, um, you know, and I also, it's great that you noticed also that, like, uh, in any case, do you want him to be, like, what, well, how about this? Do you, so you like the more, uh, ethereal stuff the second time, you think it's coheres, coheres as a whole, do you want to hear, like, a more, like, kind of, I guess, um, openly, like, kind of cosmic and ethereal thing, or do you want it, him to, like, kind of try to find that sort of, like, middle ground between these two sounds that he feels very, um, I guess, uh, interested in, in playing and pursuing? Um, I don't want... It's easier to say what I don't want, I guess. I don't mm-hmm. want him to fully commit to either because the fact that he can do both and mesh them so well is so kind of the reason why the album, I think, works as a whole. You get, you know, I think that a lot of those, like, more non-ethereal sounding ones that are a little bit more grounded. uh, Actually, I was thinking about post-Peter Gabriel Genesis. I was thinking about... um, Oh, that's another good one. Yeah. Like, uh, Land of Confusion and Invisible Touch and stuff like that. Like, I think that there's a lot of similar instrumentation going on there. Maybe not Phil Collins, like, as, like, a solo act, but I think that in terms of the sound that post Peter Gabriel Phil Collins led Genesis had uh, was like danceable like you said I think a lot of those songs are very danceable I think a lot of those songs have great songwriting and I think Liam Kazar is sort of in that general sphere as well I literally had written down I literally I was like could not figure out who does this guy sound like I was having such a hard time figuring out I'm like he, I know he sounds like someone and I don't know who it was and my first thought was David Byrne from Talking Heads because there is a little bit of a Talking Heads twang to it mm-hmm. But Bowie is absolutely the right uh, is absolutely the right analog. It is like if you listen to like fucking Starman, and then you listen to fucking uh, Old Enough for You or Shoes Too Tight, you're like, damn, yeah. that's Bowie, baby. So absolutely. to answer your question, I hope that he doesn't pick a lane, so to speak. I hope he keeps doing some iteration of this, and I hope that he continues to expand what he can do because he's clearly an extremely versatile uh, instrumentalist as well as just like he has a very specific vision but also I think he can expand that vision I think he can go places that maybe we don't expect him to go so yeah I'm just excited for whatever he does next to be totally honest with you it doesn't matter to me if it's more like the first half of the album or more like the second half of the album I'm pretty much right. in with this guy already hell yeah um, I do just want to say uh, I love that you know it's useful to to make these comparison points. I think that that's helpful for just talking about it and for for our audience here. Um, I think what kind of sets him apart and makes makes his um, his voice in particular so um, uh, 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 exciting and worth and worth following 
Um, I like how well he can just paint a picture for you, you know, um, how well that he like utilizes, um, kind of color, like color and imagery. I think that there's some really striking images like the song, um, on a Spanish dune. Yeah. On a Spanish dune, which I actually wrote down as future islands, um, was another comparison there. Um, but that, um, just, um, you know, I think that there is a really, um, there's a there's a tenderness here that I really really like. You know, I think that um, uh, uh, not that you know Bowie or other folks can't be tender, but there is a different kind of energy there that you get in this. Um, in particular, um, uh, uh, like uh, I've been where you are before. I like the yearning in that song. Uh, no time for eternity, which Andrew saw is uh, another local artist who um, who I who had like apparently has a very very good like kind of true stories-esque movie that that he made um that i didn't didn't get a chance to see it was screened for free at millennium park of all places but i didn't get a chance to see it um but i liked that there's sort of a um you know it's not like with early bowie or something where he's doing characters or things like that or kind of giving you a, a whole symphony this is very much like you are um uh due north is at least very much um you're just with this guy, you know, you are just with him and, in, in, in his thoughts and in, in, in his feelings. And I think he has a lot of very, um, tender and vulnerable things. It's not a, and it's not a particularly, um, uh, difficult album to listen to. Um, or it's not, he's not sharing like, you know, deep, dark secrets or something, but he's just like telling you like, you know, Hey, this is just, you know, what my life is, is like, this is just what I'm going through. Um, and like I said, you know, at the top, um, I really, I really like that. That's like some of my favorite uh, kind of songwriting and favorite kind of music because, like, the nice thing about music, especially nowadays, is like music is so fucking portable. You can just bring it with you and just have it on your side when you need it. Um, and this is, uh, you know, the month of August was a big, like, kind of transitory period for me. I was saying, you know, uh, uh, there's a, the move. I had to say goodbye to my friend and roommate. Um, and this is an album. I think that that kind of takes um change and kind of and transition like that and um embraces it almost you know um that's one of my favorite things about it i think that this is one that i'm gonna be uh uh, it it was such a treat to discover it so so to speak um and i think that it's i i hope that i think remember it in times of extreme sort of uh upheaval and and transients just in my in my personal life sure i think that's you know i think it's just about all i have to say about that um for now but yeah i really i really really like this and i'm I'm glad you liked it too and i'm glad it resonated yeah i literally had i literally have written down and if you don't believe me i can fucking show you but i literally have written down you're trying to win me back after outlaw in the village with this one because this is right up our alley i think you know we did that blend thing uh, on our Instagram where we blended yeah. our Spotify's. I was shocked it was an 89% 89% match because I feel like more often than not, even if we both like something, we might not like it for the same reasons or we might dislike mm-hmm. it for different reasons, you know? That's fine. Mm. There's nothing wrong with that. It's just I was surprised that the algorithm comes back and goes, yeah, that's a high B. You're almost at an A, you know, in terms yeah. of like matching taste. But Mason, this is like the sweet spot, I think, for us. We both like Wilco. We both like Bowie. We both like, 
Genesis, we both like, you know, David Byrne, talking heads type stuff. We both so like giving each other little kisses goodnight. We both like flying to where each other live and sleeping in the same bed and not talking to each other for days on end, but sending yep. little messages on little pieces of paper that we put inside each other's ears then having to go to the emergency room to fish them out and it says, fuck you, asshole. Uh, that's what we both like. Um, <laughs> that is, yeah. Some of my favorite tracks on this, So Long Tomorrow, huge freedom song just absolutely feel a great sense of freedom especially mm -hmm. when i was listening to it in oregon on my way to la i think that was a great that was a great time to be listening to that song uh for me personally uh shoes too tight makes me feel like i gotta get up and move like i gotta be somewhere on a spanish dune that's the closest i've ever felt to feeling like the dude from the big lebowski i think Really? Uh, I like that. That's really cool. I, I think that's the closest I've ever felt to feeling like Jeffrey Lebowski, the dude, uh, especially when he's flying around to Dylan. Uh, no Time for Eternity, featuring Arthur Saw and Old Andrew Enough for Saw. You. Andrew, excuse me. No, isn't it? Is it Andrew Saw or Arthur Saw? It, it's Andrew Saw. It, it is Andrew Saw. Saw. You're right. You're right. You're right. You're right. You're right. Okay? You're right. <laughs> Fucking right, dude. Uh, no Time for Eternity featuring Andrew Saw. Again, makes me feel like I'm flying. And then Old Enough for You. The guitar in that song goes fucking crazy. Uh, was he playing instruments live or was he just singing? He was playing instruments live. He played guitar um, and he had yeah. a backing band. Uh, the aforementioned Spencer Tweedy on drums. There was a couple other um, artists that were backing him up that were also tremendous. He, he assembled a really tremendous band and I'm... Uh, he is actually playing, uh, as of this recording, a, a uh, rooftop show at the Ace Hotel in Chicago that I unfortunately have to miss because I'm going to the music box with past guest Max Lazarine to see I Am Trying to Break Your Heart on oh. the big screen. Damn. A pretty good reason to miss the show, to be yeah. honest with you. Yeah. Um, Mason, should we do fast facts? I'd love to hear some fast facts. Okay, the Kansas City-based Chicago-raised musician and acclaimed chef slash founder, a real-life chef on the pod for fucking once, after Thomas, right. uh, founder of the Armenian pop-up restaurant. How are we saying it? Is it Ifasan? I think it's Isaf isn't Isafan. Let me look this up. Isfahan? I think it's Is Isfahan, I think is how you say it. Isfahan, but that's... 100% could be incorrect, but I think it's Isfahan, I-S-F-A-H-A-N. Describes the making of Due North as a personal revelation where the more he wrote, the more his songs showed what kind of artist he's always wanted to be. While he's consistently been a dream bandmate over the past several years, performing with acts like Tweety, Steve Gunn, Daniel Johnston, and more, making his own songs presented a chance to finally find his own voice. This is all taken from his Bandcamp page. I was just going to say. <laughs> uh, Jeff Tweedy has said, I love everything about Liam, his voice, his songs, the way he plays instruments, his smile, his cooking, everything, says Tweedy. He says exactly like that, too. Uh, whenever I hear one of his songs for the first time, I almost immediately start thinking to myself, oh, yeah, this song. I love this song. It's a magic trick very few people can pull off making something brand new sound like a cherished memory. I think that's a great way to put it, to be honest with you. I yeah, that that Jeff Tweedy man, he's got a way with words, and it yeah, is he might it be is, onto something. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, he might be onto something. I don't know. Who cares about him? Uh, the record kind, this record kind of all stemmed from a conversation I had with Jeff. Says Kazar, 
I showed him some of my earliest songs I was working on, and he told me, it sounds like you're writing for the people in your bands and not writing for yourself. He was completely right. I was not writing songs for myself. With that needed insight, Kazar started to start scratch and write songs that felt like himself. I think that's a very brave thing to do. You already have all this work, you know, done, and someone who you respect and trust and, you know, possibly admire, probably admire is like, hey, I think you're doing this thing that is easy to do, which is to not write for yourself. And he went, yep, I'm just going to scrap the whole thing. I think that's a very brave thing to do. That's a lot of work. Uh, not only to scrap what you've already done, but just to completely start from scratch. So I say shout yeah. out to that. I say shout out to starting from scratch. Uh, there are two words I had in my head during the making of this record, which was joyful and vulnerable. Look at that, Mason. Uh, says Kazar, citing Al Green's 1978 The Bell album as an LP that encapsulates such a feeling. Quote, I was trying to talk about things I'm scared about acknowledging that I'm not pe- that that I'm not that powerful and that you can still be joyful and face your own insecurities. Uh, Due North was mixed by Sam Evian at his Flying Cloud Recording Studios in upstate New York. Quote, Sam knew exactly what I'm trying to do with this record, says Kazar. He put the whole track listing together and really had a vision for the record that I needed at the time. Like most musicians, the pandemic threw Kazar for a loop, knocking out both his touring revenue and his part-time gigs as a bartender. With more than enough time and his Kansas City home, he decided to pursue his lifelong love of cooking by creating a restaurant, Isafan. With recipes that honor his Armenian heritage and his family's journey to the United States from Iran, Syria, and Lebanon, Kazar's cooking has received press from Time Out Chicago and Eater. Quote, in COVID, my mantra was to not have my heart broken about the future and be present, says Kazar, explaining that ethos is one of the reasons why he named the, explaining that that ethos is one of the reasons why he named the LP Due North. That's it for the Fast Facts, Mason. Who, what, or which is your Mercedes Valuable player for this guy? You know what? I am uh, kind of torn between, as as we do on the show sometimes, we have co-Mercedes Valuable players. And I was really set that my favorite track was On a Spanish Dune. And then on my most recent listen, I was like, maybe Shoes Too Tight is my favorite song. And I'm like, you know what? This is my show. I can do what I want. I'm going to do a co-Mercedes Valuable player of On a Spanish Dune and Shoes Too Tight because I think that that, those... Um, those two, two sides kind of, of the same coin exactly like you were saying um or like you like you quoted for in the fast facts that this is an album about joy and vulnerability and i think those two are good places to start to get joy for shoes too tight and then um sort of vulnerability contemplation from on a spanish dune um this is a full recommend for me i love this album uh i can't i hope that you know people uh give this a shot give it a listen uh, and if he's coming in your town, give go to his show and, and support him that way. And just put money down for his fucking album, too. Um, because I think he's a really tremendous musician, a really tremendous artist, um, and well worth well worth, uh, well worth worth a spin here. Um, so, Noe, what about you? What do you got? Uh, well, you said it was, this is my, you, sh- you said this is my show, and I'm also going to go on record and say this is my show. Uh, so I'm Are you sure give, about that? <laughs> I'm 100% sure. You have no idea how sure I am about the fact that this is my show. Uh, my Mercedes Valuable Player, I'm just going to give one. Uh, I'm going to give it to On a Spanish Dune. Uh, mm-hmm. Again, there's a very rare feeling to feel that ethereal and that lifted. No, you know, no, you know, I'm not trying to be, you know, facetious about the whole thing. Like, it really does make me feel high like in the best way possible like i feel like i'm mm-hmm. flying i feel joyful i feel like i'm sort of entering a world that maybe i wasn't you know akin to before the song came on 
that's my Mercedes Valuable Player of this. That's really what I like about the album the most, even though I do really enjoy stuff like Shoes Too Tight, So Long Tomorrow, and Old Enough For You. But I'm going to give it to Honest Spanish Dune. This is also a full recommend from me. Is this the first time? This feels like the first time in a while we've both given something a full recommend. Maybe I'm wrong, though. Uh, I don't have the I don't have the episode list in front of me, but I that uh, just going off gut that sounds about right. Yeah, that's kind of what we do on this show. We just kind of go off on our gut. <laughs> just, yeah, just we, kinda, do, we do just kind of we do just kind of finish on our gut on this show. <laughs> we do we do we do just sort of come on our own body <laughs> on this show. We sort of do flip our dick upward and come semen on ourselves. Yeah, this is the number one show for uh, dry jacking off and finishing on your chest. Uh, Speaking of dry net. jacking off and finishing on your chest, Mason, we have a movie <laughs> to talk about today as well, right? <laughs> we sure do. <laughs> and that movie is Akira Kurosawa's Dreams from 1990. Ooh. Snap, 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 snap. Mason. Yeah. Any experience with this movie and any experience with Kurosawa, I have to imagine the answer is at least a yes to one of those. Uh, Kurosawa, yes. Not as much as I would like. Kurosawa is one of those uh, big dogs whose filmography always seems so vast and daunting that I am sometimes a little uh, not sure where to get in. I've seen High and Low. I've seen uh, an early film that he wrote but did not direct called, like, I think this, I should have looked this up because I wanted to talk about it. like the snow killers or the snow something like that it was on criterion channel uh and i have seen prior to watching this movie for the show i have seen one segment from this particular from dreams oh. when yeah wow. when i was in yeah when i was in film school and screenwriting one uh my teacher showed us uh the peach orchard as like just sort of oh, a um nice yeah as like a capsule I forget for what lesson exactly, but but she showed us that. Um, was so it called I the actually, Snow Trail? Was that the movie Snow Trail? I believe so. Yeah, Snow Trail. I believe that's what. Um, Directed yes, by Senkichi Taniguchi. Three bank robbers: Ajima, Nojuri, and Takasugi flee the police and escape into the mountains. So that sounded all yes. familiar. Yes, okay. it's hundred percent what it is. It is. It's Toshiro Mifune and uh, Takashi Shimura from um, Ikiru. If y'all yeah. remember Ikiru, um, great, great. <laughs> if y'all fucking action. remember Ikiru from back in the day, if y'all fucking remember that one. If y'all fucking remember that joint, Ikiru. Yeah, that's the same fucking guy. Can you believe it? <laughs> um, uh, that's a that's a fun that's a fun little thriller. I like that movie quite a bit. Uh, but that's about it. You know, um, I'd have to double check if I've seen more. Uh, Kurosawa, but, but that's always been like kind of a secret shame is that I'm not, I'm not, I haven't seen a lot of Kurosawa movies. Damn. I'm sorry. Yeah. So you haven't even seen Seven Samurai or Yojimbo or anything, have you? No, actually, I think I have seen Yo, uh, Yojimbo, actually. I think I saw that in high school. Um, okay. Because that was, yeah, I've seen Yojimbo. That's, that's, that's. Yojimbo is. I have not seen. Yojimbo is sort of like a classic dipping your toes into foreign film, film to watch because it's not. Three 100%. hours plus, like Seven Samurai is, you know. Yeah. But it's also not like drier. It's not a drier Kurosawa, like maybe Redbeard or Ron even or Ron. can be. Yeah, yeah, yeah At yeah. times, um, so that's like a perfect Kurosawa to watch in high school. That's when I watched Yojimbo as well. I think I even watched it. Actually, I fucking wrote it down. Ha ha. What my whole shit was. Ha ha. Cool. Oh no, you actually did a little bit of research for the show. Ha ha. Cool. You actually wrote some shit down. Oh cool. It's not like I do that every fucking week anyway. 
It's not like I take the time to fucking do that shit before. You think I take this? Sh- you think I'm just oh, I'm just wandering through my fucking life, right, just it, grabbing okay. things, you know? Do you want you want to take a drink of water? You want to calm down, have a little. Drink I don't of have water any fucking have a- water to take a drink of. <laughs> it's all gone. You want to have a banana? You want to have some have some Cheez Its? Have a I want to have snack? a fucking beer. <laughs> I want to I want to get fucking wasted, Mason. I want to get wasted. I want to go to Rossi's Tavern with you again and drink. Um. Oh, uh, not soon enough. Yeah, well, I can wait. Uh, so believe it or <laughs> believe it or not, I watched this in high school. <laughs> I watched Dreams. Chris saw his dreams in high school. Mason, it was. Yeah. It may have been the first Kurosawa I had ever seen. If not, it was for sure the second. It was either the first or second Kurosawa mm. that I had seen. Um, and the way that I think it went was. I think Ron may have actually been the first Kurosawa that I had watched. I remember I had two friends over, and one of them brought Ron on DVD over to my house. He had rented it from Movie Madness in Portland. He had taken Portland TriMet all the way from Beaverton into southeast Portland, like deep southeast Portland, and rented Ron, brought it to my house, and just me and this other guy were just not feeling it. We were like 14 or 15 at the time, and he was into it, Mm. and I was like, this is fucking stupid. I do not give a shit. So, technically, I've seen Ron, but I could not tell you a thing about it except for, like, how insane they look in that movie. They just are so intense in that movie. Mm-hmm. Um, then I watched Yojimbo in high school. I watched that in a class called History of the Motion Picture, taught by Kevin Bennett. Shout out to Kevin Bennett. Watched that in high school. Classic, because we, as we you may know, or maybe not, not know, Yojimbo is what inspired a lot of spaghetti westerns, including, I think, mm-hmm. was it The Good, Bad, and the Ugly that was directly inspired by Yojimbo? I think it was Fistful of Dollars. You're right. It was Fistful of Dollars. You're right. It was Fistful of Dollars. The Toshiro Mifune character was the inspiration for the man with... The man with no name. The man with no name. Clint Eastwood. Uh, pretty cool guy. Uh, then I watched Ikaru during the summer of many movies, which is what I'm dubbing, dubbing Summer 2017, where I kind of had a part-time job, kind of was doing some volunteer work, but had a lot <laughs> of time on my hands that summer. And mm-hmm. I would go to... What I think I mentioned last time was the Leatherby Libraries and the Dodge Media Library and just rent like five, three to five DVDs a week and just watch them like when I wasn't working or when I wasn't volunteering. Uh, mm. And now Ikaru was one of them. And I would like to watch Ikaru again because I remember liking it, thinking it's really good, but I remember not thinking it was like the masterpiece that it's like lauded as, to be honest with you. Right. Yeah. Um, so I'd like to watch it again. Same summer, saw Seven Samurai at the Frida Cinema, which is. I think the only art house cinema in Orange County, and that was like 15 minutes away from where I went to college. So that was actually, I worked there that summer, so I got in for free. I got to see Seven Samurai for free at the Frida Cinema that summer. All right, okay, sure. It's just, brother, stop flexing on me over here. God, you're busting your fucking guns through your bird shirt, man. You're ripping your fucking bird shirt with those fucking guns, dude. Holy fuck. I need you to see my nipples on screen for once, motherfucker. You think I'm keeping these things in here for your sake? I'm keeping them in there for my sake. I get hard as fuck when I show you my nipples. Um, I skipped class to see Rashomon on the big screen at the... Let's uh, fucking go. <laughs> Hell yeah. The, oh, I've seen Rashomon. It, that's another one. Sorry. Rashomon is actually my favorite Kurosawa. Maybe that's it's, a hot it's, take. It's a Rip City, actually. That movie is good as hell. It is good as hell. And the reason I was inspired to skip class to go see it, I should say skip class, but I was still on campus because I was watching it at the Felino Theater at Dodge College. It was a 
they were doing a screening of it, and I skipped my class at the same period to go and join in on the big screening of Rashomon. The reason I was so tempted to do it was because at the time, this was shortly, I think it was maybe a year or two after Moonlight had come out, and I was like, damn, that's the best movie in the world. Still kind of think that. Uh, and Barry Jenkins on his Criterion video was like, you have to get Rashomon. You have to respect the form. You just have to get Rashomon from the Criterion closet. And I was like, hell yeah. I got to see Rashomon. So I did. And I do think it is my favorite Kurosawa that I've seen thus far. And maybe Dreams is my favorite. Maybe Rashomon's my favorite. I kind of go back and forth. They're very different. But mm. Dreams, I watched in high school. I was in a class called Film as Literature. One of the worst classes <laughs> that I have ever taken. Oh, high school, you don't say. <laughs> high school, middle school, college, whatever. UCP wow. and Prof 101. Throw that in there. Throw that in the mix. It's one of the, the worst Sorbonne. classes. The co- <laughs> Le Cordon Bleu. <laughs> Le Cordon Bleu. Oh, I just saw, I just went to the movies with our friend Dustin and our and my other friend Ben, who hasn't been on this show before, but they're coming out with a Julia Child documentary. Did you know about this? Oh, no shit. No, I didn't actually. And I didn't know that she actually sounded like that. I thought that that was just like a bit that like comedians would do and it was like a huge exaggeration, but she really does sound like that. It's crazy. Yeah, she does. Yeah. Yeah. Shout out to a queen, though, for real. I don't care about her. Um, but, but this class was terrible. It was taught by one of my least favorite teachers at the school. I'm not going to dox him, but he was the same guy who taught the AP Lit program, basically. Uh, and he just was such a dork, kind of a douche, wore fedoras and trilbies, was a swing uh. dancer, just like overshared about his life, was very like into the fact that he teach he taught what he called the DWGs, which yep, you guessed it, the dead white guys. Uh like wore that as like a badge of honor that he was like an expert in that. Kind of just a weird ass guy. Uh how kind many, of like, like fu- how many fucking left turns do you have to take in your journey as a man for to be like, yeah, that's going to be me, man. I am just going to be rocking and fucking rolling this. I am just committed to the no pussy lifestyle. I am just absolutely committed uh, to being the absolute worst poster on Reddit. I am just committed to my hungry man microwave meals and just yanking my little ass pud every other day because I don't have enough energy to do it every single day anymore. Where do you fucking start on that journey? Well, you start as the English teacher at Arts <laughs> You start Academy. as the podcast co-host. You start as the pod. You start as Mason's podcast co-host is where you start as, and you tell him, "Man, you got to stop ripping your pud, brother. You got to get out there." Um, ripping your pud's fun, but he was so neck beardy and shitty, and he was just so into Shakespeare and Chaucer and Beowulf and kings and queens and shit. And like, here's the thing: you say he was on the no pussy train. But there are enough women out there who, like, were respected this guy. And, like, there were people who, like, ate lunch in his classroom. Male, female, you know, people who aren't, don't identify as either, you know, non-binary folk. It was insane. This guy mm. had, like, a little cult following. So, mm. it's, not, it's not the no pussy train. It's just the little pussy express, I think, at the end of the day. You're like going to one destination and then you're going straight back. So, yeah. Um, but I loved Dreams. Dreams was one of the best movies that we watched in this class. It's so beautiful. I hadn't seen it since. It's been six or seven mm-hmm. years since I've seen the movie. But 
parts of the movie have like never left my brain and I can get into those here when we actually start talking about the movie itself. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I love this movie. I think it's beautiful. Uh, I'm glad that people are starting to discover it and I do think that is because of Criterion. Uh, they released a Criterion version of it in 2016. Before that, it was very hard to find. It was like a Warner Archive special collection DVD. Right. That cost yeah. This like, is a Warner Brothers movie, which is fucking wild. It is seeing wild the, to see that. Yeah. Seeing the Warner the Warner Brothers logo being the first thing I saw on screen was not the last thing I expected to see, but pretty close to the bottom. You know. What was the last thing you expected to see on screen to start the movie? Uh, Goatsy. <laughs> The track list of Donda somehow got on, got on the front of the whole thing and every man, woman, and child racing to download their version of Dreams. They're like, that's the Donda track list. We have to get it. Yeah. <clears throat> that's cool. Um, but Mason, should we talk about this movie? I'd love to. Um, cool. I would love to. Yeah. Let's talk about I, it. Let's talk about it. Um, here's what I'll say. Uh, this movie got me very emotional. I almost cried. I did have to, a friend of mine, I was watching this movie last night and a friend of mine got locked out of their apartment, unfortunately. So I had to let them in, uh, to my place so they could crash on the couch. But, um, I don't know why I shared that in particular, but (laughs) (laughs) but I was watching this movie and oh here's what i'll say so i got the call from my friend i it was like eight o'clock and i was going to start this movie at like 8 15 because i knew it was going to be roughly two hours and like hey sorry like can i crash on your couch and i was very tired i was not annoyed at them but i was just kind of like i have set aside this part for my night and now i have to kind of like again i i'm happy to be there for a friend and things like that but like when i have set out my night to do something i kind of don't like interruptions i kind of don't like um, uh, uh, I'm very persnickety. I'm very, uh, uh you don't uh, fucking fragile. say, is that true? I don't yeah, believe that. Me? No, 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 no. Yeah. I was just, so I'm like, yeah, you can come by. I do have to watch this movie for the podcast. Um, in the way things work out, you know, they were coming from a different part of the city. They had to do some errands to make sure that they were like, you know, had some, you know, uh, some clothes to sleep Shit. in and things like that. Yeah. So, because, you know. They got locked out of their apartment. They don't want to be just, like, sleeping on my couch in their work clothes and things like that. So it ended up being that, like, the movie ended and they showed up. And normally, sometimes I can get in a headspace with a movie where, and especially if I'm sitting down and I'm waiting um, for, you know, uh, there's plans coming at the end of the movie, basically. I can get in this headspace where I'm just, like, kind of, like... Fuck! Now I gotta be on call. I gotta wait. I gotta have my phone on vibrate. I don't like having my phone on vibrate when I'm watching something, especially at home. But I am watching this movie, and I have Mason's notebook open in front of me, and I am just Greek. And I am like wrapped the whole time. R A P T the whole time, and I am just like just into it and just like feeling it and like with you know the first two vignettes at the end of the peach orchard i'm like oh this is gonna be my favorite one like i don't see how it could get much much better than this then you go into the snow the kind of this uh the what's it called snowfall mountain climbers then you go into the tunnel then you go into the artist and then you go into um 
Mount Fuji, Fuji and Red, and, baby. Mount Fuji and Red, and then you go into... And I am just watching this whole thing, and I'm just like, fuck, Akira Kurosawa, you lived a fucking life. Yeah. You lived... Just... It occurred to me watching this that I was watching the this sort of story, and not like a biopic, but just the story of a man's life, a Japanese man's life who start who was born in like the twenties, I think, maybe even earlier than that, and like came of age through World War II and came of age in the nuclear age, and and even if he wasn't in the cities that were were bombed by uh, the the military to you know uh, uh, in Hiroshima or Nagasaki. Um, was in that culture during that time and and lived through that and was affected by that and saw like just the kind of absolute dredges of humanity saw like just the the worst some of the worst destruction that's ever been wrought by humanity and then he leaves on this just but in all of that in all of that in all of that and all of that he's communicating beauty he is communicating um, the, just the importance of art and just like how uh, I sent you this um, right before we recorded I sent you this life in hell comic <laughs> just yeah. a pivot did you get a chance to look at that before we started recording yeah I did and it really bummed, bummed me the fuck out to be honest with it you. bummed you pissed. out it bummed yeah. you out oh it didn't bum- would, okay that's... how would it not bum me out it's like it's sad uh, I kind of found a little bit of a liberation in, in that particular comic. I'll, I'll post the comic, uh, uh, later, but, um, all to say that it's like, I got the sense of just like a life that was lived and, um, just, you know, we've been through a long fucking year and we've been through a long month. August was a hard month, not just... For your boys here, for your podcast hosts, but for the world at large, for the United States, it just seemed like bad shit kept happening. And it just seemed like bad shit will continue to keep happening. And I'm not saying that that's not going to be the case. But what I am saying is this movie gave me a little bit of hope at the end of it that there is still like beauty that can be yeah saved somehow somehow i don't know i don't have an answer right now how that's going to happen i don't think any one person has an answer on that but this movie does put you in the pits of fucking despair and puts you in the fucking shit but it also just um it's very honest and it's very it's it's very honest and it's very true about like how you fucking like what it is to be alive i think i think basically that's that's kind of the long and short of of my take on this at the end here i agree with you actually to be honest with you i think it is a the way that this movie was presented to me when i watched it in high school was the neckbeardy teacher said this is the journey of an artist that's what this movie is about it's about the journey of an artist and i was like We'll see, I guess. I mean, I don't trust you, <laughs> like to, you weird yeah. ass guy. Like, well, I guess we'll see. But he was right, you know. And it not only is it about the journey of an artist, it is just the human journey of being a young person and being afraid of the world 
and being unsure yeah. of the world and yeah. being having then having to live in the world outside of you know the comfort of home and having to go out in the world that's what i see mountain climbers and tunnel as and then you get to this van gogh one where he's inside this world and he's like oh shit like this is what i want like this is what i want my world to be this is where i feel happy this is where i feel like i can do something and then mount fuji in red and weeping demon the la- the sec the sixth and seventh uh vignettes in the movie this is also mm. an anthology film by the way, I think it's the third anthology film we've talked about after Wild Tales and Night on Earth. Mm-hmm. Um, and Mount Fuji and Red and Weeping Demon come along, and it's like, this is destruction. This is like how crazy life can be. This is how, this is how we're like thinking about like morality and you know uh, existentialism and all these things. And then that last vignette always gets me. It is so simple and it is so serene and peaceful and it feels like it shouldn't work because it's such a mood shift and it's such a tonal shift from what we had just been on but you want it because you're craving just that little bit of peace and that little bit of return to nature and i love the old man in this movie spoiler alert he might be coming up later at the end of the show uh but this old man talks about just how we have to work together to preserve earth and we have to work together to live on this earth because the earth is the only home what we have and ultimately you leave home you experience fear you experience uncertainty you experience all these terrible things that can happen you experience all these beautiful things that can happen but ultimately we all return to earth at the end of the day we all get put in the ground we start where we you know we end up where we started and we have to take care of that and there's a big environmental message there but that environmental message is also a personal message at the end of the day because of the artistry put forward in this movie. It is so beautiful. It is such worth your time. People who say that older Kurosawa's are like, you know, something to not be watched or just completely mistaken, I feel like. This is such a powerful movie. And it, it I don't know. I, you just can't not be moved by it. I yeah. Think. No, I, I don't think so either. I also just think that the title... Um, so I will, I, will, I will say something. When you, when you presented this movie as when we were going to watch... I got a little pissed. Why? Because I had seen that short before, and I was like, I've seen this movie before. I don't want to see Akira Kurosawa's dreams. I want to see fucking, uh, I don't know, something else. Dunstan checks in, exactly, yes. I want to yeah. see Ed, why don't we watch Ed TV? <laughs> well, I don't, or I think, isn't it, it, just isn't Ed the one with the baseball playing monkey and Ed TV is the one that's Truman Show? Uh, right, I was going with the Truman Show one, actually, but I, I, you are right, Ed is the baseball playing monkey. <laughs> with Joey from Friends, it's Joey from Friends and the baseball playing monkey. Sounds like us, kind of sounds like us. It does kind of sound like us. You're, I think you're Joey from Friends and I'm the baseball playing monkey in that regard. So. I am always saying, how are you doing? That's my, that is my catchphrase. That's, you've been saying it for 81 episodes, and I've pissed at you that you keep saying it, and I'm like, you gotta stop saying it, but it's your catchphrase, so I'll let you do it. Yeah, because you, well, you're just concerned that NBC is gonna catch Y to our show and just slap, throw a bill at us for, you know, uh, $100,000 for every single time that that was mentioned, and that's gonna be at, you know, $8,100,000 or whatever it is at the end of the day. Uh, don't, don't check my math on that. I'm right. I'm right. I'm right. Um, in any case, in yeah. any case, um, but, <laughs> but 
But you were pissed but. at me because I picked this because you're a little stinker head. But because I'm a little because I'm a little stinker head, and maybe I was just mad at something else, and I was like, okay, this is a convenient place to put that anger. Um, but I was watching this, and you know, I was sounds also like thinking, that's what it was. Sounds like that's what it was. But keep going. Yeah, sounds probably. like that's exactly what it was. But keep going. But it was it was interesting that I, I'm coming. I, I watched this movie coming off of that um, four week mini series that I was on uh, front of the show, Heaven Ramirez's podcast, talking David Lynch, and you know, David Lynch. Um, you could, I think, make the argument is the, the like the filmmaker and his his movies are all dreams, but he's also a ver- a uniquely American filmmaker, which was kind of like the frame around Heaven and Mind's discussion was like this is the this is a uniquely American filmmaker, and I just really you know I think even from the first I, I stopped being mad uh, from the jump. Um, when the first credited name was Martin Scorsese. That's very important. We got to point that out. That's one of the first. True. I think it's yeah. only credited actor too, which is interesting. Uh, maybe that's just an American thing. Maybe it's different elsewhere. But in any case, if you rent this movie on Amazon, which is, it's two bucks for a rental, which is quite a steal. Uh, Martin Scorsese is the, I think the only character, the only actor's name that pops up. And I come on. In any case, it starts that for the, um, it starts with the, um, you know, the first vignette, the first uh, anthology. The foxes. Uh, antho- foxes, yes, thank you. Um, and it starts basically with a sun shower. And I don't know if you have sun showers in Portland, Oregon. You certainly don't have them in Los Angeles. But no. we get them a lot in Calif- in Illinois and Chicago. And I love a sun shower. They do feel very dreamlike and they do feel very um, uh, uh, very dreamlike. I'll just settle on dreamlike there. And it goes into um, that section, and I was just kind of smitten, and I'm like, okay, I gotta get over myself. I gotta get over this 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 little this little little pissed off at- attitude that I have right here. Yeah. And I just kind of at the end of the day, um, on the basis level, I just appreciated that I was watching um, dreams from a person that I had access to dreams. From pers- uh, somebody who lived in a different culture and time than I did, you can make the argument that's what all filmmaking is. You can make the argument that's what all art is. People have, I'm sure, but at just calling it, putting it on the tin, Akira Kurosawa's dreams. I'm like, okay, let's just see what it's like. This for this man at this life that he had. What are the dreams that he had? Um, and I think that that's a good way to kind of get an entry into another culture and another sort of, uh, time and place. Um, and that's, you know, I I think on the basis level, that's, that's how I appreciate that. Uh, what vignettes stand out to you the most? What were your favorites? The, um, the peach orchard, like I said, and, uh, tunnel, um, the Wailing Demons, and then uh, I didn't write the name down for the last one, but the, the final one, I think. The Windmills. Th- the Windmills. Yes, thank you. Or Water... Is it Windmills or Watermills? It's definitely not Watermelons. It's definitely Windmills. Okay, who cares? Who cares? Fine. Whatever. I, I care and I'm right. Uh, so that's that. Um, <laughs> but uh, the ones that stuck out to me the most when I watched it the first time were Blizzard Vignette, because mm-hmm. it is so starkly different from the first two. The first two are very colorful yeah. and very uh the mountain climbers one is very silent and still as well but in like a frightening way the the other two are like it not is not necessarily it, frightening but they're like awestruck you have this like awestruck mentality that you just like i can't say anything like i yeah. have to just sit and watch it it's like watching an animal be born or something like that you're just like yeah completely and there's the um 
Yeah, and just the the way that um, he and his sound designer uh, use uh, like um, the, the howling wind and how they uh, to to create that atmosphere in that section was just it made me it made me a little chilly. Um, it it's it, it's very striking. I agree. Extremely striking. So that one had that one had stuck in my mind, in my craw, stuck in my fucking craw, basically since I had seen it in high school. The Van Gogh one, because Scorsese's in it, and because of the crazy colors and the weird, you know, VFX that are going on, that one had stuck in my craw since. And then the final vignette had just lived in my craw because of the old, how wise that old man character is, and how peaceful and serene yeah. that old man character is after what is a very tumultuous run. You know, even the ones that are like even the Van Gogh one, there's a lot of conflict in the Van Gogh one because he's constantly chasing after the guy. You know, it's not his life or death, maybe as maybe mountain climbers or Mount Fuji and Red is. But uh, there is still that sort of like go, go, go mentality, whereas Windmills family feels like it just feels like a long exhale. So those are the ones that had remained in my mind most fresh since seeing it in 2015. And the tunnel one probably got the most like cred for me this time like that's the one I think that improved the most because I remember watching it in school at the time and just being like this doesn't feel like it like works with like the other ones at the time I just felt it was very like like it just didn't feel like it fit it felt very like weird yeah but I don't feel that way anymore I'm really glad that that one's included because it's it's a part of his life and a part of Japanese history and a part of American history for all that all that matters yeah it's it is, and it's this really um, affecting story about just survivor's guilt, I think, at the end of the day. Um, and the... it's I love how he, um, uh, in the second half of that particular segment, how he just keeps cutting back to the soldiers, and they're standing just so stone-faced as he... Um, like he releases all of this guilt that he feels about like um being the guy that lives and then his entire platoon or battalion or whatever like died you know and he has to just like kind of look at their 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 white painted faces um and talk about how hard it is to be the only person alive and then that dog comes back and keeps barking at him and to me that dog uh, indicates a survivor's guilt that he's always going to carry with him, and that's the thing that, like, yeah, 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 it, it, it's, 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 um, it's, it's really affecting. I do just want to go back to the mar- uh, to the Van Gogh segment because I also liked that one a lot. That one is so um, fun. Very playful. It's very playful. There's also like a little bit of kind of like a uh, an industrial anxiety there because it's like, you know, uh, 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 you know. It's, uh, Van Gogh is seeing like the kind of uh, the the train coming, and he has this like these visions of like train wheels, and I just love how kind of shocking it is when that pops up for the first time. Yeah. I just love that um, you know you're you're with the artist in the gallery, and then he goes into the painting, and he's talking in in perfect fr- in French to um, the uh, the women that are uh, at the river doing their their laundry or whatever. And then, uh, you know, they're talking in French and then he goes up and you see Van Gogh. And if you're if you're a discerning viewer like me or you at least have some familiarity with this. One other thing I knew about this movie ahead of time was that Martin Scorsese's in it as Van Gogh. And I'm like, oh, like, I can't wait to, you know, is Marty going to do some like accent work? Is he going to speak in French? Like, what's going on here? No, it's just Martin Scorsese (laughs) with like (laughs) 
uh, this is like a wrap around his ear and just be like, uh, just like in his little like kind of fast talking, in- intense mode of mode of speech. There, it, it's so fun. I I love Marty as an actor. He's a tremendous filmmaker. But anytime that he acts in something, particularly Shark Tale, I think I don't know. Um, yeah. it, it's always a treat. I was just about to say you should check out Shark Tale if you like him as an actor because he's great in that. Uh, saw that movie on opening day. Uh, <laughs> I love that for you, honestly. That is that is so valid, Bestie. That is so great. I really needed you to tell me it was valid. Thanks. <laughs> I really need I really needed you to tell me that seeing Shark Tale on opening day was valid. Thanks. Also saw the uh, Michael Chiklis Fantastic Four on opening day as well. Mm. Can I see that on the opening day, Mason? <clears throat> You can, can do, I? you can do what you can do whatever you want. You can do Thanks, whatever queen. you want. Thanks, Queen. Um, the colors in this movie are amazing. Kurosawa. Yes. It, there's been million and a half video essays made about his camera movement, but he truly moved the camera like no other filmmaker that I can think of, and obviously inspired just so many other filmmakers. And we'll get to it in the fast facts section. But the reason why this is a Warner Brothers production is because Steven Spielberg and George Lucas. Or am I right about Steven Spielberg? I hope I'm right about Steven Spielberg. Um, yes, George Lucas and Steven Spielberg basically were the reason why this movie got made in the first place in terms of actual Hell production yeah. funding. Those MFs love, love Kurosawa. <laughs> yeah. Georgie, but, uh, Georgie in particular. <laughs> I should have never smoked that shit. Now I'm helping Kurosawa fund dreams. <laughs> <laughs> should have never smoked that shit. Now I'm Van Gogh in 1990s Kurosawa's <laughs> dreams. Yeah, yeah, very cool. <laughs> uh, but he moved the camera like no one else in that opening vignette when the little boy is, like, seeing the foxes, you know, or whatever, mm. for the first time. He, like, centers the boy in the frame and, like, moves in a wide shot with the boy. And that, to me, is, yeah. like, the stare- like the, the perfect textbook example of, like, a Kurosawa shot because it's beautifully composed, but there's also movement to it. And it keeps being beautifully composed the more movement that comes in. And it's not like a move that has like a start to finish, like maybe like a pan or maybe like a tilt would be, where it's very clear you have a start frame and an end frame. We're just following with this guy, this little boy, but in a wide mm-hmm. shot. And to make yeah. that not a shitty looking shot, and by yeah. actually the opposite, make it be like beautiful, that's amazing mm-hmm. to me. That is an amazing piece of filmmaking, I think. I am going to co-sign everything you just said. I loved uh, the kind of little... Um, there's some quirks of, of that as well that I really, really liked. Like, I noticed it in the Peach Orchard at the end of that segment and then in Fuji and Red where it seems like they have, like, like a zoom lens on it or something and they're moving, you know, they're they're panning and there's just, like, a slight, like, kind of jump to the frame yes. that kind of gives it this little, like... Um, uh, uh, it's it's a little disorienting, but I'm just watching it. And I'm like, yeah, sometimes you know the, the the frame just moves like that. And you know what? Who who am I to say that that wasn't in Kurosawa's dreams as well? You know, like who's who am I to say that he didn't dream in a little kind of shaky zoom like that? No, you don't have the authority to say that. I I don't have don't. the authority to say that. No, and I would ask Akira Kurosawa, but he's fucking dead. He's fucking what? dead, so we're not going to get answers on that. Yeah, he's been dead since uh, 1998. Whoa, he looked to be 88 years old. Look at that. 
Look at that. <laughs> I'm looking at it. Actually, Fuck. hold up. Hold up. <laughs> he died September 6th, 1998. Wow, you know the day is? that we're recording this. That's wild. <sighs> that is wild. Wow. Damn. Damn. That's not going to matter Sorry. to people listening. That's not going to matter to people listening to this. No, way. but it is going to matter to the FBI who's going to come to our apartments and arrest us for killing Akira, Akira Kurosawa in 1998. That you did that. That's cool that you did that. Yeah. I had nothing to do with it. I yeah. didn't even know you back then. I actually was one years old. Um, yeah, and I, I was I was 27, and, and well, we don't need to get into that right now. You were 27. You're actually still 27. It's crazy how we can still be friends, even though you have Benjamin Button's freezing disease, and I have, and I have little boy syndrome. Yes, I am. I am the love child of Benjamin Button and Mr. Freeze from Batman, <laughs> and Doctor Horrible as well. Um, Doctor Horrible has a freeze ray. Uh, <laughs> with my freeze ray, I will make. Mason, <laughs> it's not oh, a death Christ. ray. I, it's just making Mason still as fuck. Uh, Mason, I think that's it. To be honest, it is a great movie. We could talk about the, we could talk about the vignettes more in depth, but they're all good in their own way. I would say my least favorite, like individual one, is Mount Fuji and Red. But you need Mount Fuji and Red to get to Weeping Demon to make that one work. To be mm. honest with you, I kind of see those as one vignette, even though they have two title cards separating them and sort of breaking them up. Mm-hmm. Um, I love Mountain Climbers. That's still my favorite, if not, you know, it's maybe top two, but still might be number one just for the sheer tension that is able to be uh, derived from that. And then one moment that I also did want to bring up, and I wonder, I was curious how this came up to you since this was your first time seeing it and at the beginning of the film, mm-hmm. when the... And I guess spoiler, but this is not really a, this movie can't really be spoiled. It's to be honest with you, it's not really one of those movies. But uh, when the little boy goes back to see his mom, and his mom hands him the sword and says, "Don't come back until you've like taken care of been the forgiven." Foxes. Yeah, yeah. I thought th- that fucking made my heart stop. I had forgotten about that, and I was like, "That's fucking crazy." Like that was such like a heart stopping moment for me. Like imagine if your mom said that to you at like five or six years old like yeah you're basically being thrust into adulthood right there you know uh, that's a good read on that I didn't have that read at that time but I do appreciate it now and I think if I rewatched it it would affect me a little bit differently I was still kind of in the like I was watching that movie and I was still like kind of in the dream sort of space of that so I'm like this is just dream logic you know I wasn't really looking for a connection or one didn't really come to me at that point um so that didn't that didn't register but it was a very um I like that the that particular segment ended without the resolution it was just the boy going into the rainbow and then fade out fade up the peach orchard yeah, it really um, just puts you on the edge of your yeah. seat in terms of, like, what yeah. the hell else am I going to see? Like, if you're leaving our first vignette as that open and without resolution, like, it puts you on the edge of your seat, but also, like, I don't know. It's just so masterful. It's such a masterful movie. It's so well done. Um, it is. It is. Should we just do fast facts and get the sh- get the shit out of here? <laughs> Give me some motherfucking fast facts, brother. I'm ready for them. All right, well, we'll give you some fast facts, and then let's get the shit out of here. <laughs> Dreams. 
a.k.a. Kira Kurosawa's Dreams, is a 1990 magical realist film of eight vignettes written and directed by Akira Kurosawa. It was inspired by actual dreams that Kurosawa claimed to have had repeatedly. It was the first film in 45 years in which he was the sole author of the screenplay. It was an international co-production between Japan and the... It says worldwide, but I'm going to go ahead and say America, to be honest with you. Japan and America... Uh, Dreams was made five years after Ron with assistance from George Lucas and Steven Spielberg, which was funded by Warner Brothers. The film was screened out of competition at the 1990 Cannes Film Festival, and I think I read that it opened the festival, but I don't know how that works. If it's screening out of competition, is that allowed? I didn't know if that was 100% legit, because who knows I've never been to Cannes. Anything could happen. Anything can happen. Okay, very good. Kurosawa had trouble getting financing from studios in Japan, Blaming much on the political nature of his criticism of nuclear power in the film, he sent a copy of his script to Spielberg, who liked it and helped get a deal from him th- for him through Warner Brothers. For the Sunshine Through the Rain segment, which I believe is the first segment, I believe that's the that's the Fox segment, uh, mm. a cur- writer-director Kurosawa built a near-exact replica of his childhood home, and the nameplate on the gate even reads Kurosawa. During production, Kurosawa showed the actress playing the mother a photo of his own mother and gave her tips on how to act as her. Directing. Uh, In Crows, Vincent Van Gogh is portrayed by none other than Marty Scorsese. The segment features prelude number 15 in D-flat major, also known as Raindrop, by Chopin. The visual effects for this segment were provided by George Lucas through Industrial Light and Magic. Additionally, it is the only segment in the film wherein the characters do not speak Japanese, but instead English and French. Additionally, Kurosawa had envisioned the role of Van Gogh being portrayed by Scorsese when he first wrote it, based on his meeting with him seven years earlier. Can you imagine meeting Akira Kurosawa seven years ago, and then all of a sudden he's like, I need you to play Van Gogh in what is will be one of my last movies? That's fucking wild. That is, that is, that is wild. I bet if Akira Kurosawa met me, uh, and he was going to make a movie about um, Chicago weatherman Tom Skelling. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> he would, I, bet he would if you, me up. I bet if he met you, he would give you a kiss. I that? would hope so. I would love a kiss from old, from old Akira Kurosawa. I don't know why I'm not getting one, but oh good. Um, the eight segments of this film were originally joined by three more that ended up being cut due to time restraints. One involved people flying through the air. Cool. Another involved Buddhist priests protesting temple taxes. Maybe not that interesting. Maybe. I don't know. Probably interesting if Kurosawa was doing it, but it sounds boring as fuck. George uh, Lucas was like, I'm just going to use that for my plot for three Star Wars prequels. <laughs> yeah. For instead of doing that, I'm going to steal your idea and not give you credit at all. Uh, and the third focused on newscasters talking about a breakout of world peace. My opinion, cut it. think you made the right yeah. decision. The flying one could have... I can see how... the. I would have liked to see the flying one. I'm just curious about that. I could definitely see how that movie gets very uh, top heavy, you know, after after a while with nine segments instead of eight. 100%. I think having eight, I mean, the less you can have in a movie, most of the time is always the right move, I feel like, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, so cutting the three segments, and I think he cut the right ones, to be honest with you. None of those sound like they needed to be in the movie. Uh, according to Kurosawa, the script was written in, quote, two months, maybe less. Also crazy, but when you've basically been having these dreams for your entire life, probably not the hardest thing in the world to actually write them down. So, mm. kind of makes sense. Uh, this marked the last work of director Ishiro Honda, 
and is sometimes alleged that he directed the segments The Tunnel and Mount Fuji in red. While mm. Honda's exact contribution has never been confirmed, Kurosawa valued his input valued his input in his experience that he brought in. In 1993 interview with Nagisa Oshima, Kurosawa mentioned how, quote, having Honda, who served in the war, as a friend, I'd feel, I'd feel odd making a war movie. I don't know the reality of battle. So a little, little maybe controversy there. Maybe no one cares, and that's just the the mythology surrounding the film. Yeah. Uh, director, I apologize, Nobihuko Obayashi, I believe is how you say it, was on mm. set for the film and recalled that after finished filming, Scorsese rushed over to Honda to tell him that he to tell him he came to Japan just to meet him. Scorsese told Honda how he admired his work and decades later would contribute to the late director's biography. Cool, cool. Uh, Dreams was released on DVD by Warner Home Video on two occasions, the first time on March 18th, 2003, and the other on August 30th, 2011, as part of the Warner Archive Collection. Criterion released special editions of the film on Blu-ray and DVD on November 20, excuse me, November 15th, 2016, in the U.S. Both editions feature a 4K restoration, headed by Lee Klein, technical director of the Criterion Collection, and supervised by one of the film's cinematographers, Shoji Ueda. Also included in the release is an on-set making of documentary directed by Nobuhuku Obayashi called Making of Dreams, which was filmed during the production of the movie My Mercedes Valuable Player, the old man from the final vignette, and probably just that final vignette as all. But that old man character has never left me. That has been, it's the perfect way to end the movie. It's kind of the only way I think you can end that movie. It's so beautiful. Yeah, This is a full recommend. It's a great movie. If you haven't seen it, see it as soon as you can. Mason, what about you? My Mercedes Valuable Player, I think still it's going to be the Peach Orchard. I That one wow. kind of encapsulates... Yeah, I, I was really affected by that um, and still am. Uh, I think that's kind of the movie in a capsule. Um, I think the whole... Two, it, the movie is definitely worth two hours of your time. Um, affected me like not a lot of other movies have. Um, and it's certainly not anything that I've seen recently. So I really think that, you know, if you're listening to this, just just go out and, and, and find it and watch it. Uh, also, a full recommend for me. Can't not give this a catfish, my man. Come on. Yeah. This, is a cat, this is a catfish through and through, right? Yeah. I think this you is got, a catfish I mean, through and through. I think so. But that's that's kind of your thing. So I don't I don't I don't interfere. I don't meddle in the affairs of catfish, to be honest with you. I feel like I kind of leave that up. And, to and you. Nev Schulman is very ha- is very grateful for that. Um. <laughs> yeah, I hope that that guy I hope I can kiss that guy's ball sack. One day. <laughs> I don't Me know. Too. I want More. that for you as well. Uh, but this is a full recommend if it isn't clear. I, I think this is, this is a, a masterpiece. This is the, the end of uh, a, a very storied, very storied career. Very, um, one of the best in, in all of cinema, you know. Like, I think it is kind of like, you know, sometimes it can get kind of like, oh, really, is Cinema actually that good? And yeah, 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 he actually is. There's a reason why, you know, he, he does live up to the hype. So, I think if you haven't seen a Kurosawa movie... Here's my question. Would you start with this if you haven't seen a Kurosawa movie, or would you say go to Yojimbo, go to Rashomon, go to Ikiru, something like that? I would say go to Rashomon, go to Yojimbo, and if you like what you see, and even if you don't like what you see, watch Dreams anyway. Sure, I can get behind that. That's what I would say. Well, Mason, I think we did a, we did a thing... We did a thing. We adulted like freaking a freaking boss today. We did oh. a freaking. 
We gotta adult. Gotta do the podcast. Gotta adult today. <laughs> gotta do the fucking podcast to be an adult today. <laughs> I don't know if I can handle this shit anymore. Oh, don't talk to me before I've had my coffee. I gotta, I gotta adult today. Don't talk yep. to me before but I've you had actually, my coffee. But you actually think that. You actually do. think don't talk to me. I do actually think coffee. That. Yeah, 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 I do. Sorry, that's just who I am. No problem. Pisses me off anyway. Uh, that's fine. Uh, you can follow me on social media, Twitter, Instagram, TikTok. It's all in the link trees below. You can listen to my other podcast, my favorite podcast, a podcast about people's favorite things. This week, Marissa Hecker, back on the pod. She's back. She's back. We're talking about the Weston Playhouse Theater in Vermont. Her favorite theater company, her favorite state. A great app. Listen to it. It's available on all platforms. Uh, you can also, of course, your local government, yg.world on Instagram, your local government comedy on YouTube. It's all in the hips, as they say in Happy Gilmore, but it's also all in the link trees below. You know it. You love it. That's it for me, I think. Did I say, oh, you know what? I do actually have another plug, believe it or not. I just remembered this. And I forgot to write it down. Flick Fair is an online film festival. And they're screening a movie of mine this month. You all of September, it. that's it. All of September, Buttons the Great uh, is screening on Flickfair. It's $5 to sign up for the month. You can immediately cancel the membership if that is still something you'd like to do. Uh, but it's kind of exciting. Hadn't really done a whole lot with that movie since. And they actually reached out to me and said, we'd love to have your movie on the thing. So I said, of course. So yeah, you can watch that uh, on Flickfair for the month of September. It is streaming along with all the other September films streaming on Flickfair. Cool little site. It's a very large, independent uh, online film festival. That's all I got. Mason, bring us home. Uh, folks, you can find me also at the link tree in the description where I am. You can find my Twitter. I am on Twitter. Oh, baby! It. It's at same same handle as Instagram, at hotdogdebicki. Once more, that is hotdog like the food. Debicki like Debicki. You can find me there. Uh, I also just want to give a quick little shout out to, um, the, uh, Former past guests film, uh, fa- sorry, I want to give a quick shout out to past guest Chris Bell's film, The Winds That Scatter. Uh, I believe it's available for streaming on Means TV. That is, it's a beautiful um, little, uh, less than a 80 minute film about a, uh, an, a Syrian immigrant looking for work. Um, the actor who um, plays that immigrant, his name is uh, Ahmad Sharour, I believe, uh, uh, apologies. Um, he passed away, uh, unfortunately. Oh, wow. Uh, and he has, yeah, he has a really tremendous little um, performance. I don't believe that he was a professional actor, which makes that uh, role and that performance even more um, impressive. And I think that it is just, um, that movie is well worth your time. It's well worth um, a watch. And I just wanted to give a little shout out to um, Ahmad and Chris and get some eyes on that. Um, other than that, folks, I will just say that, uh, you know, like we said, things have been tough recently, personal-wise, world-wise. Uh, just always remember to tell someone you love them and do something that you love. And and as you're doing that, listen to our podcast, and we will see you all next week. See you guys. Thanks.